how many of you like lists? Like to-do lists, pros and cons lists, lists, yes. Lists are amazing, are they not? Yes. You know, um, one, one list that people eventually end up making in their life is their dream guy or their dream girl list. This is where they list out all the qualities and characteristics that would make an ideal significant other. Uh, for, for example, whenever I started dating my wife, her list went something like this. Her ideal man would be British. He would drive a truck and he would play guitar. So in that case, she settled. I guess she thought two out of three wasn't bad. Uh, and and I, I share that because Em and I think it's funny but also to make the point that M had her ideals, but they weren't actually ideal, right? There are a lot of men that would have fit that description and have been horrible for her and, and to her. And I think something similar happens when we talk about sexuality. When we talk about sexuality, we, we typically have like a, a set of ideals that we either condemn or condone feelings and behavior which can be really helpful as long as we have the right ideal to evaluate things by. So what I want to do tonight is to make sure that we have that right ideal. Or, or to say it differently, I want to make sure that our ideals line up with God's ideal. And to do that, we'll be in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 19. And as we journey toward an understanding of God's ideal for sexuality, I want us to make three movements. I want us to look at artificial ideals, God's ideal, and then God's catalyst for achieving that ideal. Now, I think there's really two artificial ideals that, uh, that are just prevalent in society today. The first, we could say, is the love ideal, uh, which we could place under the slogan, love is love, right? And by that, I mean that, that it doesn't matter who you love, as long as it feels right and you're true to your heart, that's what makes it valid. Uh, this is the logic that gets used all the time, both inside and outside the LGBTQ community. And so in this ideal, frankly, everything is ideal. And, and we'll address this more in a different talk, but to give you the pitch without the wind-up, Scripture makes it clear that all same-sex romantic relationships are outside of God's plan or ideal. And so the love is love ideal is really unhelpful for figuring out how we should express our sexuality. And, and this leads to the other very prevalent one. It's to conclude that, that the proper approach is heterosexuality, that we are to be attracted to the opposite gender. That must be the ideal. Uh, after all, that's what God ordained. But, but here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Does being heterosexual accurately encapsulate God's design for sexuality? Is God's end goal for you to simply be attracted to the opposite sex? Because the Bible tells us in several places, like Leviticus 18, that there are a whole host of ways that heterosexuality is far outside of God's ideal. And here's what I'm trying to say. God's ideal for you is not simply to be attracted to the opposite sex. God has a much higher ideal for our sexuality, because he has a much bigger ideal for our identity. Uh, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we said our identity is based upon our being made in the image of God, that, that we are created to reflect God's character, his, his goodness, his justice in the world so that it might flourish. 
And God's ideal for sexuality has to be working toward that same end, which is why our text is so helpful for figuring out what God's ideal for sexuality is. Uh, Let me read from our text, verses 14 through 16. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. According to this passage and others like it, God's ideal for your sexuality, for my sexuality, is holiness. Now, if you spent any time around church or taken a cursory scroll through the Bible, you see this word a lot, holy or holiness. What does it mean? Uh, it, it simply means to be set apart. But, but this isn't a, a command to be different for the sake of being different, uh, nor is it a command to just be moral. Uh, notice, notice what it says in verse 16, what our holiness is supposed to be. It's a reflection of God's holiness. This is how, or this is one of the ways, that we image God. And practically speaking, there are really two ways that that we do this in regards to sexuality. There's two paths we walk to be holy as he is holy in this arena. First, uh, we practice chastity and singleness. Now I know what you're thinking, Caleb, chastity, that is an old-timey word. What in the world does that mean? I use it because it's a really good one. Uh, It it simply means to flee sexual immorality, which we're commanded to do several times in Scripture, such as 1 Corinthians 6.18. Now, sexual immorality is a catch-all term in Scripture. It's noticeably broad, which means it's kind of vague. And so it might seem difficult to figure out exactly what we're supposed to avoid in singleness. And so here is an easy test to tell if you should flee something. Would you do it if Jesus was physically in the room next to you? If, if you wouldn't watch that show, if you wouldn't send that snap, if Jesus was sitting right next to you, it's probably something worth fleeing. And, and so, so part of God's ideal for sexuality looks like chastity before marriage, but, but most, if not all of you, will end up getting married. And so then the game plan changes. It changes to remaining faithful in marriage. Now again, faithfulness in marriage kind of seems pretty straightforward, but let's not assume we're all on the same page. Uh, When the Bible talks about marriage, it's one man, one woman for life. And faithfulness means that you are loyal, loving, and generous to your spouse. Um, It's more than than simply not having an affair. It, It refers to an ongoing commitment and care. Now, I understand that some people are more visual. Uh, let, me try to, let me try to graph what I'm talking about, okay? God's ideal, the thing that he wants for your life, for your sexuality, is holiness, okay? This is the ideal. There are two paths that you can express that. There is singleness, which all of us will walk this road. We exp- so singleness, the, the expression is chastity. For most of us, at some point, that path might diverge into marriage. And so the expression then becomes faithfulness. And what I want you to see is the goal never changes. The ideal never changes. The expression of it changes, but the goal remains the same. God's desire for you from the moment you are born 
the moment you die, is that you be reflecting his holiness. And depending on where you are on that path determines how you express it. This is what we're called to do. This is what is expected of us. And, and I know that this ideal is incredibly difficult. <laughs> Not just because of a bunch of internal drivers, but because of a lot of external pressures. Uh, which is why we need to understand God's catalyst for achieving this ideal. Because the way I see it, there, there are really, there's one major reason, maybe, maybe two reasons why, why we don't pursue God's ideal. The main one is simply, we don't want to. <laughs> the other is, we, we don't seem to be able to. We look at God's ideal and we say, chastity, that doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound like it'll lead me to the life I, I'm interested in, the fulfilling life. No thanks, I'll try something else. Or we try to do things God way, God's way, but we just kind of can't seem to pull it off no matter how much willpower we throw at it, so we fall back into the, the other way. And both problems, according to our passage, are solved by grasping something, by, by understanding a certain piece of knowledge, which Peter shares with us in verses 18 and 19. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or, so, or silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter says that the key to being holy is to understand the price that God the Father paid for you. If he didn't purchase you with silver or gold, but with the blood of Jesus. And that, that equation, that exchange looks something like this. If Jesus' blood has infinite value and God spends that on you, what does he value you at? Infinite, right? And, and here's how that knowledge helps us live out God's ideal for sexuality. If you hear that God's ideal, God's ideal, and you think to yourself, God's just trying to squash my fun. I would be way better off doing my own thing. You can be confident that that's a lie. Why? Because you don't spend an infinite amount on something that you don't intend to take the absolute best care of. See, we often talk about God's commands specifically in this area as prohibitions. Don't do this. Don't do that. Because, because they go against God's commands. And that's absolutely true but we miss the heart behind the commands. When God tells us that the ideal expression for our sexuality is chastity before marriage, faithfulness after, we can be 100% 100 sure that's the absolute best for us because he spent Jesus on you. And here, here's why all of this is so important for our ongoing conversation about sexuality. When we engage with anyone about sexuality, whether, whether they be in the LGBTQ community or not, God's ideal for them is holiness. That's the end game for them and for us. It's to be a reflection of him. And so in the upcoming weeks, we're, we're going to unpack this ideal more. But, but for, not, for tonight, I just, I just want us to be contemplating what it looks like for us to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy.